I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch a movie for the 150th time. Hey, Pete. Hey, Carrie. Hi. Happy 150. The naysayer said we could do it. They said 149 max. The naysayers mostly uh, protested by not listening and uh, not knowing we exist. But uh, oh, but they're out there just not knowing we exist. Yeah, we've got a longer list of enemies than Nixon. Uh, yeah, and Nixon's on our list of enemies. <laughs> Does that mean we inherit his list of enemies? Oh, yeah. That's how enemies work. <laughs> it's just one long list that keeps getting passed down. Yeah, secret Easter egg. That is why we've been so tough on McGovern throughout this entire podcast. It's because we have Nixon's enemies list. Yeah, our, our anti-McGovern takes are mostly what we're known for. Um, do you think maybe we could let bygones be gone, bygones in our next 150 episodes? Fuck that guy. He's on the list. It's weird. As soon as we inherited Nixon's list, I started drinking more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's unrelated, Peter. Your doctor told you that. Uh, Anyway, so, Carrie, welcome to our awkwardly starting 150th episode. Uh, The awkward start is the best way. (laughs) We like awkward start, awkward finish. I think it's just our style at this point. Absolutely. It's just consistency. It's brand consistency. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. We don't want people to tune in and be like, wait, these guys are pretty smooth. What what show is this again? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what I signed up for. (laughs) And that brand consistency is, for We Love to Watch, we're a movie podcast. Typically, what we do is we pick a theme and we talk... uh, about, around, and in between movies around that theme. Uh, lost it. Because you know what? It doesn't matter this episode. We're not doing that. Uh, for for our anniversary episodes, we have uh, o- exclusively done uh, bizarre movies of their era. So uh, for our 50th episode, we did Air Bud. For our 100th episode, we did Monster Trucks. Uh, and this this episode, we're doing something a little bit different probably less well-known as a meme, uh, but one that I have said a few times throughout this podcast, uh, the tagline has stayed with me since I saw this movie in theaters in 1994, and that is, uh, like, uh, Timmy's not getting mad. He's getting even with Dad. Um, I remembered very little of the plot of this movie as I found out rewatching it, but there was something about that, like, don't get mad, get even with Dad, that has stayed with me. Uh, and so, yeah, for a surprise, we are doing that. We And a little fun trivia fact, we almost did this last year for our 100th episode. Uh, and we found out that it was at that point only on VHS. <laughs> it had never had a DVD release, uh, as far as we could tell. It was definitely not on any streaming services or available to rent digitally and so as was god's will as was god's will so uh now keep in mind this was a while ago 2018 um but uh we were talking about what to do for our 150th episode and discovered uh that getting in with dad was available now to watch on amazon prime so we 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 were all in so this was a first time watch for me i uh, or uh, sorry, a second time watch for me, Peter. I believe this was your first time. Uh, yeah, I, 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 all I knew about it was that Macaulay Culkin had long hair, 
Ted Danson also had long hair. Did you know Ted Danson had long hair? Because that was a surprise to me as someone who has seen this movie before. Uh, I know Ted Danson is uh, having that weird uh, curly flat top kind of thing more than anything. (laughs) Like a a white man's flat top. But it kept going uh, for quite a long time in the back of his head in this movie. It's just it's like it's the same Ted Danson thing profile wise, but he turns his head and he's got a little got a little surprise for you. It's it's (laughs) such an odd choice. Yeah, it's because he's trying to be a scumbum. Yeah, you you hate to see him go, and you also don't want to watch him leave. (laughs) (laughs) So, Carrie, had you seen this movie before? Yeah, I watched it um, at Stephanie Gould's sleepover in either the (laughs) third or fourth grade, and I remember specifically it was a double feature with um, Baby's Day Out. (laughs) That's 1994 in a nutshell right there. Yeah, that's like two off-brand John Hughes movies, like the the Asylum ripoff and uh, him ripping himself off. Yeah, I, I so I saw that movie in theaters. I saw this movie in theaters, uh, and actually, I, I want to save that talk because that's going to transition right into my game. Uh, before we get into why I wanted to do this movie uh, and why I'm so excited uh, to talk about this, Carrie, it is your seventh time on the podcast. Uh, well, sixth official, and then there's a side cast that I think that's coming that totals seven. So I was right, and I'm once again not a counting error. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can just make this a recurring bit where I'm like, what have you been on, like, 87 times? And you're like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but you're the producer on all the episodes, so it's very hard to... Yeah, series series executive producer. Yeah. Be careful, Aaron, because when she gets to 87, she gets one of those uh, little cars that the Kiwanis guys drive around in. Uh, that says <laughs> we love to watch on it. Uh, I thought we we're getting her a vest, or did we already do that? Vest was for number five. We have to step it up by 80. No, I think it's just a vest each time at some point. <laughs> I don't know how to drive, so I hope this is like a self-driving oh. car, or I will learn how to drive for the podcast. <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen those Shriners at like a parade? They're just going in circles. I don't think <laughs> they have to true. pass any tests for that. That's true. I can yeah. manage that. That's like sub go-kart. I think you'll be good. Yeah. Uh, is, you, it, is you not knowing how to drive uh, just a matter of pragmatism, or do you just not want to drive? I've only ever lived in cities, so it's just never, like, been a thing. Um, oh. But I feel like someday, just to be, like, an adult, I should probably get a driver's license. <laughs> also, or- if I ever move anywhere... Like I can't, I can, I can get away with this in New York. If I move like almost anywhere else, I have to learn how to drive. Here's the thing: the reason why a lot of people in New York don't drive is because that way they can take the subway, and while they're riding the subway, they can eat a big pizza pie. Mm-hmm. Yes, hands free. The whole th- yeah, their hands are free from. They're not on the steering wheel, but they are <laughs> no. still on the ten and the two. Eating the whole pizza uncut. I assumed that it was just because there's all these guys uh, walking here. And oh, lots of walking. You don't want to hit them with no, your car. A lot of people are walking. Lots of walking. Yeah, there's just the one guy who drives around in the car so that he can occasionally almost hit pedestrians so they and can say, say their hey, iconic line. Here. Yeah, that's like a drug that they sell in New York. Uh, when I got hit by a car when I was running once, uh, I, I just said, ow, ow, why did you hit me with your car? <laughs> I, didn't say, uh, I didn't have any good quips at all. Uh, I got hit by a car riding a bike and got uh, an ambulance to the emergency room. Oh, terrible. 
And then uh, the driver of the car tried to sue me. Mm. I was 15. Uh, was that was that a preemptive strike like George Bush in Iraq? Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I was driving directly into them with a rock going <laughs> freedom. But no, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> they tried to sue you at 15 for running they into did. their car? Well, no, they hit me full on. Uh, but oh, apparently okay. they were under the impression that I should have stopped. And I did not think I should have. I thought they should have stopped. Um, and in the end, no one won. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, everyone won. You got hit by a car and got scared by the intimidation tactics of a middle-aged bully. Yeah, no, a fun, a fun uh, fact about that story. I uh, was biking to my job because uh, I had gotten to a different car accident with uh, my, my dad's Bracco where it died mm. on a hill. And then I rolled back and ran over a stop sign and then called work, said I was going to be late while a police officer came to our house and I took the statement, had to pay for the stop sign, hopped on my bike, got 10 blocks and got hit by a car. Same police officer. Wow. <laughs> wow. He should have just followed you around at that point. He should have. <laughs> my, parents, my parents called my job and it's like, Aaron isn't coming in tonight. And my boss was like, no, he already called. He just, he, I thought he was just going to be late. Uh, no, but he got into a car accident. Yeah, I know. He's going to be late. No, another car. true story anyway so yeah carrie did you introduce yourself hi i'm carrie i've been on the show a few times um i don't know how to drive and that's pretty okay with me i think someday i'll learn i've been told that it's a great way to feel like in control of things like if you're ever having a day where you're like i'm just feeling totally i don't know what is going on you can just get in your car and drive somewhere. So maybe someday I'll experience that. But uh have not had that opportunity yet. And uh, my life's been pretty okay. So <laughs> I don't feel like I'm missing out on everything. You know, um, you're really missing out on more than driving is when you listen to Tracy Chapman's Fast Cars, you're probably like, I don't understand any of this. So why are we doing this movie? Well, I really wanted to do it because, first of all, I, I we did Air Bud. And when we did Air Bud, we talked about how bizarre it was how many movies in the 90s were these family-friendly movies that featured us an animal of some kind or, like, kids playing sports? And they went through all the sports. And, and Air, Air Bud was, like, a cross of those. It was, like, you had so many free willies and Far From Home, The Adventures of Yellow Dog and uh, The Great Panda Adventure and just literally this, like – constant churning especially from like 1990 to like 1997 or 8 of like it's almost like no one they no one really knew what to do with pg rated movies for a while it's like well all the all the stuff that's like actually for adults is um is now pg-13 or higher and so like you have a couple spielberg movies a couple of these big budget things cartoons are all rated g animated movies are all rated g for the most part so in the 90s you just get a ton of these bizarre pg movies that are like comedies for kids and usually they fall into one of three categories sports uh related animal related or like smarmy kid or some sort of family family comedy with a smarmy kid whether the kid's the lead or he's like just a member of the family and he's an, an adult's the lead but it was just so baked into 
the 90s that there were a ton of examples of that. And because I wasn't allowed to see most PG-13 movies, but we had access to a theater a few blocks from my house. And because my dad worked at uh, the radio station, we had like a, a it was like a gold pass to the movies, which means we never had to pay. And we could ask for as many tickets as we want. Uh, so I just – so I was able to walk to the movie theater but for some reason still followed the rules of like only PG and G. I didn't start lying till I was a little older. So like every one of these fucking movies that came out from like 92 to 96, I saw them all. And we talked a little bit on the Time Bandits episode that when I discovered Monty Python and Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Mel Brooks – I was just blown away because I didn't realize comedies could be funny. Uh, like, I I thought that comedies in general, for the most part, were stuff like this. Mildly amusing, a fine way to burn two hours if you're ten, and there was one funny joke. Like, and that was a comedy! Uh, and so you're, you're I just like, have a- uh, you just thought there were movies that were ge- generally sort of joyful or optimistic... And then, yeah, you got to laugh once or twice. Yeah, like every once in a while they'd put a joke in, but very occasionally. Um, you know, for the kids. For the kids. Uh, and so I just have a weird, like, it's something that doesn't really exist anymore. It didn't exist that much before the 90s. And I actually think this genre, this kind of like smart ass kid genre, um, is the quintessential like early 90s uh, family genre because that's what the 90s was portraying. Like the, whether it was in television shows or movies, it was like idiot adults, divorced parents, and like these smart, unaffected kids who are putting adults through the ring. And a lot of it was kicked off by Macaulay Culkin, though yeah. he made a bunch of movies that feel like ripoffs of that subgenre himself, including this movie, uh, Richie Rich, uh, even Home Alone 2 is like a shoddy version of what he kicked off with uh, the previous Hughes movies. Yeah, they just didn't know what to – like, once he got to this age, which is like 12 or 13, they didn't know what to do with him. And he, he didn't want know what to do with himself anyways because he, he left the movie industry after this year where he had Richie Rich, Page Master, and getting even with Dad. Yeah. Uh, and he quit until Party Monster in 2003. Uh, so, we'll talk about that more when we get into the movie. But I have a quiz. We haven't done a quiz in a while. But like I said – there is so many of these fucking movies. So I have a 10 question quiz. We'll rotate back and forth. You guys know how quizzes work. Uh, is it a pop quiz? Uh, in that yes. it covers pop culture? Yes. And we've not studied for it. So yes. And that some people call their dads pop. Some of uh, oh. some of you have studied your entire life for it. And that someone is me who will not be answering <laughs> questions. Um so this is ten movies. <laughs> I, I wish more teachers, more teachers, uh, gloated about knowing the answers. <laughs> I, yeah. None of you dumb little shits know the answer to this history quiz, but I, a 40-year-old named Jeff, who spent his entire life studying it, do. Hey, teach, is the test easy? It is for me. I wrote it. Good fucking luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's ten movies. Now, I, had a, I actually had to pick from a lot, so I did not even fit all of them in there to the point that I have a tiebreaker. Uh, but this is... 
uh, movies uh, in the 90s that are not sports or animal related uh, family comedies from 1991 to 1997 that are rated PG. Oh, boy. (laughs) And I'm going to give you just like this movie's tagline, which this movie's tagline includes the name of the movie. But um, I'm going to give you the tagline and you have to guess which movie it is. We'll go back and forth. If you don't know and want a clue, I will give you one actor who starred in it. And then you can have a half a point if you get it right. Um, Some of these, by their nature of how memorable the movies are, how much they've stayed in their public conscious or like a little more specific in their tagline are going to be easier than others. I have there's nothing I can do about that. (laughs) I didn't write the fucking (laughs) taglines. So uh, but we can let me know who's going to start. I'll start. The tagline is when Preston sees an opportunity, he takes it. Uh, Blank check. Correct. Ding, 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 How did ding, I remember ding, ding, ding. that? Preston is such an annoying, like, douchey little kid name. Like, I can't, like, it, it just, it, it sticks in the mind. Yeah. Apparently. That's, that's, like, nothing about that tagline would lead you to believe it was blank check. No, but I remember seeing that movie and I remember he had a douchey name. That was a really good poll, Carrie. Uh, Peter, Jack wants to marry Ben's mother, but there are strings attached. <laughs> oh. Oh, God, no. Uh, (laughs) There are strings attached. Here's what's funny about this. This tagline was written. I'll I'll explain it in a sec. This tagline was written after one very specific poster for the movie. The theatrical one was created because it includes strings. (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking know, man. Uh, 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 Man of the house. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> what does that have to do with strings? So in the theatrical poster, which no one remembers because everyone remembers the one with the VHS poster. If you look it up, it's Jonathan Taylor Thomas Georgia on G. a big red velvet chair. And he has uh, he's holding Chevy Chase, who is much smaller than him and shrunken like a marionette puppet. That's and so the creepy. tagline is Jack wants to marry Ben's mother, but. There are strings attached. <laughs> so I don't know if the poster was written first or they made the poster to accommodate a, de- a tagline that didn't make any sense. But I would highly recommend everyone go to IMDb and see what this poster was. Amazing. But based on those two, you would assume it's a movie about a dude who like shrinks his stepdad or like his stepdad is like a little, little, little person. Uh, I would assume it's actually a tagline for the movie uh, The Soloist, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx, <laughs> because he plays a violin, I believe. I've never seen it. Yeah, it might be a cello. Never saw it. Sounds yeah, plausible. But, it, but there but are strings in it, boring. and so the tagline makes more sense for that than for Man of the House, which is just about Jonathan Taylor Thomas and uh, Chevy Chase. Buttonheads. <laughs> Maybe Jamie Foxx wants to marry Robert Downey Jr.'s mother in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. Yeah. Soloist uh, too. this time. It's personal. I want to make you the biggest violinist in the world. And he's like, I want to marry your mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's strings attached <laughs> um, to your cello. Uh, Peter. Or no, wait, Carrie. Uh, to Carrie. Yeah. 
Sorry, there's so many Yeah. Players. Hi. <laughs> if oh. we could do some sort of like poker version of like ante, you know, so we can remember who the dealer is, like a dealership, that'd be helpful. No parents, no counselors, no rules. Camp Nowhere. Correct. Yeah. God damn. Two Very. to one. Uh, all right. We are Peter. quickly running through 90s movies that I remember. Go on. <laughs> yeah, same. America's- Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. The famous 90s family comedy, Kramer versus Kramer. Have you ever seen the cover of it? It looks like it's a, like a uh, family comedy or it's rom-com. The 70s, Go on. America's toughest cop has just met his match. Ooh, toughest cop. I feel like it's... Is it? It's not Cop and a Half. It's not the Estelle Getty movie either. I'm stopping my mom will shoot. Those are both 80s movies. Um, uh, they're both 90s movies. Those are both 90s movies? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, stopping my mom will shoot. Not rated PG for that one. So incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's Cops and Robertsons, the Chevy Chase, Cops Jack Palance movie. I've never heard of that. Saw it in theaters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that movie was totally written title first, right? Cops oh, and yeah. Robertsons? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The that story was written by Scotch. So uh, Jack Palance is the cop. And Chevy Chase is like in the he's there to protect him because there's some something against his life. And surprise. Uh, Chevy Chase is bumbling, but he's also got three pretty smart, alecky 90s kids. One who's super goth and wants to be dead. <laughs> Delightful. Uh, yeah, Carrie. Yeah. He's a talented agent. She's a thief. Looks like they already have one. No, sorry. He's a talent agent. <laughs> Not he's a talented agent. He's a talent agent. She's a thief. Looks like they already have one thing in common. Oh, my God. Okay, I want to take the clue. I will give you a clue. I saw it in theaters. <laughs> um, Did you see all of these in theaters? I saw every single one. Yeah, and more. More that I decided to not do for this. Incredible. It, um, so I'm trying not to give the main... I'm looking up if there's any. <laughs> the problem is the main star... I think I could give you the main star, and you might not get it. Yeah, this is like not ringing any bells to me. So the main star was Michael J. Fox. Oh, 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 oh. Um, um, Milk Money? Uh, no. no. That's Ed Harris, but they are very similar. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, oh, oh, fuck. Who started Back to the Future? Ed Harris? Oh, that guy. <laughs> Michael J. Fox was in it. Uh, I, I want to see Michael J. Fox as like the grizzled uh, general in The Rock. Like, uh, I control this island. Uh, then, um, uh, it is Life with Mikey. Yes. Oh, shit. Yeah, I never saw that one. Uh, as I said, I saw it in theaters. Was it good? Uh, no, but I saw it three <laughs> times. Because I swear to God, it was at the theater a couple blocks from my house. I saw it three times. It was like a summer movie, probably. I just kept going because it was one of like four movies there. I told you guys I saw Gettysburg three times in the theaters, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you served longer at Gettysburg than some soldiers in the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Especially those that did Pickett's Charge. They were murdered immediately. You know how I know that? <laughs> I saw Gettysburg like four times in the theaters. <laughs> I know more about General George Pickett <laughs> than uh, most adults who study the Civil War. Oh, it was a sad day. A uh, day that will live in infamy. <laughs> 
You get it? Because that's never mind. Uh, okay. Uh, Peter. So it's, I yeah. think it's 2-2. Two, two, or someone's still... Hold on. I think Carrie has one ahead two, of 2-1. That's right. Peter. One kid's fantasy. One cop's nightmare. Can you repeat that? Wow, this, this is a creepy title. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, I think if it was switched, it would be... Much worse. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Oh, I didn't know oh. I didn't know it could be worse. One kid's fantasy, one cop's nightmare. Jesus Christ. There's a lot of cop themed ones in here. Um, no, they, they ran out of stuff. Uh can you give me any of the kids? Or the or the cops? I mean, I'm not gonna give you the cop. <laughs> Is that the end of the list? Uh <laughs> I give you the director. Sure. Henry Winkler. Jesus Christ. I don't know. Jingle all the way. <laughs> uh what cop is in that movie? I don't I just assumed Arnold Schwarzenegger is a <laughs> off-duty cop in every movie. Uh it is a movie you already said once, Cop and a Half. Cop and a Half, Mamma Mia. I thought I thought Burt Reynolds was already That's the Burt Reynolds one, right? Correct. I assumed that that was uh he was already irrelevant by then. I mean, yeah. That's why he's starring in Cop and a Half, Peter. <laughs> Oscar winner, Cop and a Half. Yeah. No, I mean, like, so irrelevant, they weren't casting him in anything. Like, I, like the, the, the pre-Boogie Nights years where he was like, I don't got anything on my plate, but I don't trust this PTA guy. Here's one of the amazing things about this. So I went and looked up these movies. And again, I, I think they all share a very similar genre. And I went oh, yeah. uh, a few years in uh, Box Office Mojo and just, like, was checking uh, to make sure there weren't any like ones that I missed, and surprisingly, I actually didn't. I didn't find anything from that exercise because I already had written them all down. Uh, <laughs> but uh, none of these movies like made any money. They're all like six million, seven million dollars, and they still spent five years like hoping one will hit. Some of the sports ones did. The animals ones like Free Willy, huge hits, but like whatever this genre is, like never made any money. Do you think we remember them, though, because they were cheap to license for television? Oh, definitely. No, I think it's because I live six blocks away from a theater, Peter. Uh, but, but Carrie and I have known pretty much every title that you've said so far. So, like, there's some resonance has happened, even though none of them made any money. I mean, they had posters up at the video store and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the video store is a graveyard for, for movies that didn't do well, right? Like, it doesn't matter how much money they made there. Like, you can still be tricked into that same hole, like, seven years later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much stuff in that kid's section. Yeah. Like, eventually, you're renting Cop and a Half. (laughs) (laughs) That was my problem as a kid. I remember being like, I've seen a lot of these movies, and they're terrible. Or my older siblings would be like, I've already been there. You don't want to go down that road. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what was the terrible version of this when you were? Because you're a little uh, younger than us. Carrie. Yes. Uh, they were just your average uptight suburban family until Kevin Franklin stepped into the picture. Kevin Franklin. Fuck. This one feels really obvious and I'm totally missing it. I have no idea. Do you want to now you're winning? Yeah. My whole point. Do you want to hedge your bets? I will take a clue. I will take a clue. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. Uh-huh. I have no idea. House gassed. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Sinbad That's another comes one I did live. not see. Oh, yeah, Sinbad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is like Shazam, 
where it was probably made up by you right now. The internet. You've never seen House Guest? No, I vaguely remember seeing the cover. I never, I've never uh, seen it, the movie, but I've, I feel like I've saw it at the video store. That's a weird one I watched again recently, like in the last six or seven years, because Phil Hartman was in it and it was on HBO one day on like a lazy Saturday. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this just for a little Phil Hartman fix. I mean, it's, it's really bad still. Um, <sighs> but Sinbad, it's a, they're, they're a, let me, let me, let me lay out the, the, the stakes. Phil Hartman, dentist, pretty uptight. Stressed out, family, kids hate him. Then Sinbad hiding from the the uh, the cops or criminals that are trying to kill him. He pretends to be Phil Hartman's old buddy from high school, even though he looks nothing like him. You know, racism, uh, and <laughs> because they were both black. And then he comes and pretends to be him. And you know what? He loosens up the family quite a bit and makes the parents love their dad. And that's mom. so nice. But there's definitely, I mean, if you're wondering if there's hijinks, oh boy, there are some hijinks. Uh, all right, Peter, two to one, on. Gary still leads. Big laughs come in small packages. He's <laughs> not about dicks. Nope, not in a PG family comedy from the 90s, not about dicks. Oh, man. Um... <laughs> Big laughs come in small package. Sorry, I can't stop thinking about dicks now. Um, oh, no. <laughs> 150th uh, episode of Dick Talk. <laughs> big laughs, small packages. What comes in small packages? Um, big laughs. laughs. What is the small package? Uh, <laughs> um, can I get a lead actor in the movie? James Belushi. James Belushi. The Belush? The Belouche. Uh, K9? <laughs> That'd be an animal movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, it's Curly Sue. I had never heard of this before. Is, By, is, is, what is the, the small package? It's the, 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 the five-year-old girl. girl. Yeah, Curly Sue. Why is she a package? <laughs> well, <laughs> Entertainment teaches you to objectify women starting at a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's apparently true why is she a small package i don't understand no they're, but you're not saying she's a small package they're saying there's a big laughs coming in because she that's the point is that she's like a five-year-old but very she's funny. very she's wait very hold on funny. is there a child's corpse in a small package that he discovers no does his partner k9 find it no she's but k911 is very funny it's the last oh, okay. movie john hughes directed so this is post baby's day out no, he was, uh, that was when he started using a pseudonym to write all those terrible, like, flubber stuff. Uh... He wrote flubber? Yep. All right. Two to one, Carrie. Oh, gosh. He's young, he's wild, he's fun, and he's the one protecting the president's son. <gasps> oh, 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 fuck it. Um, first kid. Correct. Yes. Earlier, I was like, try I was like collecting names, and I was like, I hope I get one on first kid. God damn it! God damn it! <laughs> All right, three one. You can't win, but you can have a little bit of dignity. Uh, Peter, a lot of kids get into trouble. These two invented it. Oh God, they invented trouble. They invented trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Romulus and Remus. I don't. If you're, know. <laughs> if you're thinking I love Trouble, that is a PG movie from the '90s, but they just love it. They didn't invent it. <laughs> okay. They invented Trouble. Yeah. 
Huck and Finn? I don't know. Ooh, Huck and Finn is the uh, is the same person, I believe. So incorrect on a technicality. His name is. <laughs> can, I Finn? Of a, can I get point two five? Can I get point two five of points? But, but you are right. It is Tom and Huck, not Huck and Finn. Uh, with God Brad Renfro it. and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, Stop Brad Renfro. So yeah, three to one. I'll do the tiebreaker. So before then, before then, no trouble. No, no trouble. <laughs> then after them, lots of trouble, presumably. Well, I don't know if it started small in a little town in Missouri and then spread from there and then eventually became quite a lot of trouble. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, no one knows the rapid pace or the trouble spreads. Do you think that we can blame uh, Huck yes. and Tom? Huck and Tom. <laughs> What about in Ireland, the Troubles? Could we blame that on Huck and Finn and Tom? Um, you know, <laughs> and Huck? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you whatever scapegoat you need, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, they'll be there for you, Peter. <laughs> um, uh, what about Big Trouble in Little China? Uh, no, that, get was that, before, far? that was before this movie. Oh, okay. So the PG-13 so, from the 80s. Uh, so I had my tiebreaker, which is a movie that did not have a tagline, unfortunately, but uh, I remembered it vividly having one. That's because there was a poll quote on the theatrical poster that made me want to see it very badly. So just for fun, shout it out whoever gets it first. This is the tiebreaker. Poll quote tagline. Crosses Home Alone and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which was kind of like saying to uh, 10-year-old Aaron, uh kill your parents if you need to but get a car and go see this movie as quickly as possible <laughs> i have i have no idea a uh, little vampire uh, monster Ooh, and me no nope. i'll give you a hint there was one theatrical sequel uh once i think actually two straight to video sequels but one straight to video sequel in the 90s meets home so alone this is about a kid with a monster right Nope. Was that about the? F- so it's not about a kid with a monster. No, I mean there is a movie called Little Monsters with Fred Savage, but that is that's not, what I'm thinking of. That's not. That's not. Uh, um, and there's also a movie about a little kid that makes a Frankenstein, but it's somehow not called Young Frankenstein because they already did that. Um, is it about a kid that lives in a sewer? Uh, that, that sounds that sounds like they would take the two worst parts of those movies. Oh, home, it's, it's like Home Alone because it's a kid. It's like Ninja Turtles because he lives in the sewer. <laughs> Boom! Crosses between those two. <laughs> the, the two things most associated with those movies is, is uh, kid sewers. Got it. Oh yeah, sewer kid. Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like a, a cross between uh, it's, it's a cross between uh, Jaws and Die Hard uh, it's about a mayor who shuts down a building <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what this movie is three ninjas kickback mega mountain oh, no. kickback yeah, was yeah, the yeah, sequel yeah. Peter Kickback was the sequel, but the first time they were just three ninjas, and then later on, they kicked back. So as you can see- And then they went to Mega Mountain. Uh, at some point, they knuckle up, which is the third sequel, or second sequel, and then, yeah, eventually that one. I think that's like 2,000 with different kids. Because at that it. point, they would be just adults hitting people, and that's not as much fun for anyone. Um the funniest part about three so, – so to be clear, Carrie, just because I really want to make sure that this is over-explained at this point. So what they meant by Home Alone Ninja Turtles is not Kid Sewer, 
but like <laughs> stopping robbers with traps and also ninja stuff. Amazing. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So you can see why that would be appealing to a 10 year old. Yes, absolutely. I have to wear a fucking stupid shell to pretend to be these guys. I just got to put on a bathrobe. <laughs> uh, but it it was one of those movies that I expected to love as much as those two. And remember being like, ah, yeah, it must have been good, right? Because it was a cross between Home Alone, a movie I like, and Ninja Turtles, a movie I like. So, I mean, it must have been good. And I feel like the idea of making kids just ninjas gets, a, it gets rid of a lot of the riffraff. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to spend uh, the entire movie explaining how they became Ninja Turtles. You could just be like the kids. They like being ninjas. Yeah, and I think all the movies now. Carrie obviously clearly won. Um, she's probably seen more of those movies than Peter, but not an excuse, in my opinion, for what for how poorly Peter did after uh, coming out the gates pretty strong. He disappointed quite a bit. Kind of reminds there, me of like our first somewhere? episode. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. It's just a metaphor for like our first episode to our hundred fiftieth. But never mind. We can just uh, one. What the <laughs> other thing? The other thing that that uh, I think a lot of those movies have in common is, um, you know, a lot of kids who with, probably have strained relationships with their dad, and sometimes that comes out in fights. I'm assuming in Three Ninjas, uh, it was kicking. Uh, in uh, let's say Cop and a Half. Maybe he pulls Burt Reynolds' guns and shoots someone. I don't know. I don't remember that much. Um, first kid, probably mad at his dad because he's the president, not around that much. And, and they, you know, they get mad. There's probably some, like, crying emotions and stuff like that. We're going to cover, we're going to transition now to a movie that doesn't have any of those emotions. No, no Never emotions. Never stuff. <laughs> no, except... Randomly at the very end, which is the most obvious, someone sprayed Macaulay Culkin with a squirt gun. Uh, because all of a sudden it goes from I've never showed any emotion throughout the entire movie to uh, I just dunked my head underwater crying in a second. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about a movie where no one gets mad, they just get even with dad. Guys, do you want to get even with dad with me? Hell yeah. You are alternate taglines, but I gotta tell you, don't even try. Because how much tagline conversation have we had around this movie? I mean, you can try because it's the 150th episode. You gotta give give some effort, but uh, I've got some. I've got some. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I can't you know, top. I can't top the original tagline. Do you want to tell us? You know what? It's a brave man that steps up to fail, and I want you to take your shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go through. Let's let's go through through them. Okay, there's just three of them. Um, Three men and a baby, but they threatened to kill the baby. <laughs> what if Home Alone, but the wet bandits were Kevin's dad? <laughs> um, and then the third one is, beware that when you're getting even with dad, you yourself do not become dad. For when you gaze into the dad, the dad also gazes into you. A <laughs> <laughs> lot of gazing, a lot of yelling. Yeah, a lot of guns. Just a good family. I'm going to just talk about the plot very simply, but just so fam. So I want to be very clear. This is a lighthearted family movie meant for kids. It's definitely not meant for adults. Um, 
and the plot of this movie is about how a deadbeat dad is uh, is stuck with his own kid after his wife dies and he goes to jail and his sister takes the kid but then the sister and his her new kind of shitty husband is like kind of being verbally abusive to the kid and they're like let's drop him off at the deadbeat dad's house but the dad's like you came at a bad time because i'm pulling off a big coin heist uh, so then the kids <laughs> the kid though is like steals the, all the coins after the heist to blackmail his father into spending time with him and meanwhile the the these uh these these bandits led by ted danson uh are immediately identified by the police like they're on them there's not like a place where the police are investigating they're like yeah it's these guys so then they stake out them for a while but then the movie's like oh shit we ran out of plot and inactivities uh so the the lady cop falls in love with ted danson and now the kid is playing matchmaker between the two as they develop into a relationship but then the dad's like, yeah, sure, I love you, but I also want the money. And the kid's like, you're going to go to jail. So the kid gives thinks th- is, so gives him a choice between the money and Ted Danson. And wait, no. The kid gives Ted Danson a choice between him and the coins. <laughs> Ted Danson is not on the table as a choice to Ted Danson. Uh, so, th- of course, after some yelling... Uh, Ted Danson's like, I choose you, son, but then still kind of ends up forced to go into the coins and then gets still gets arrested for some more plot. And then uh, they find that the coins are in a Neiman Marcus somewhere forever. Um, and then they go, uh, says he's, he's going to keep his son uh, and they're going to go hit on girls together. And that is the fun movie that they've set up here. Uh, it is... It's two hours long. There's <laughs> so much plot. There's so much. It is the most egregiously long movie we've ever done on the show. <laughs> it's like an hour and 24 minute movie that stretches its way to an hour and 54 minutes. Like, well, And that's my point. Like it, So it's about the 50 minute mark where it's done like... They've done the heist. They've done the dropping off the kid. The kid's stolen the money. He's blackmailed him. They do... There's like two back-to-back montages of them doing stuff. And then they're at the 50-minute mark. So I think think what happened truly is is that they they realized they didn't have enough plot. Like, they're like, oh, shit, we're out of plot. And then the movie pivots into this relationship thing. And then because now it's a whole new movie and a whole new plot... uh, they that's why it takes so long like if they just made this about the blackmailing i think you're done in 75 minutes um and it feels like it was stretching for those 75 minutes instead it's just like i don't know now another thing happens who who the fuck knows um but here's the thing it's like a lot of these movies it doesn't work and it's not good at all and it feels like here's my kind of pitch on why this is like the most misbegotten of the misbegotten 90s like precocious kid movies so it it the comic conceit of the movie is there right son like very 90s um one son blackmails dad to get him to spend time with him like that feels right out of blank check or some other version of this precocious kid gets the parents in a situation and then they bond through it or something like that all of that potential comic 
components. Like, uh, is undone by the circumstances, which is the fact that the kid's um, mom is dead. Uh, the dad is a career criminal. Uh, and he's constantly being threatened about whether he should kill or torture his kid as opposed to spending time with him, not like because he's so busy in the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then two, the other thing that undoes the potential comic nature is like um, the – you expect like like blank check is a good example of it because it's like the kid finally gets his money and he gets to go do everything he wants. So everything is like big and like a kid's fantasy, right? Which is like – I get to buy a house with a water slide. I get to have pool parties. I get to buy whatever they want. You can see a version of this of like a kid blackmailing his dad with like the report that's due at work and he's a rich guy. And he's like, you're going to do fun stuff. And all that stuff is like kid fantasy stuff. We're going to go on a hot air balloon and go swim with dolphins and stuff like this. But because of the nature of their relationship, all of the amazing fantasy stuff that he's doing with his dad based on blackmailing is just like – the bare necessity kid activity stuff. So it's going to kind of a boring, in you know, fair. It's a baseball game. It's mini golfing. It's like, it's nothing that like, it's going to a park. It is nothing that like kids in the audience could watch and go, oh, look at that kid. Got, got, got his parents, got a little one up over his parents and now is going on all these things I'd like to imagine myself doing. Like, it's so... So because those are the two conceits, the comedy and the wish fulfillment is all gone. Like he can't – he's not asking for outrageous stuff that you laugh at. He's like, can you give me a hug? <laughs> you know, it's – It's really sad. It is like a 20-minute montage essentially that like is somewhat interrupted by scenes and there's almost no hijinks being performed during them. Like there's no. one, there's one sequence of one of the, the bumbling goofs. Uh, tripping on some baseball bats in the most telegraphed, boring gag I think I've ever seen in a kids' movie before. It's just like, huh, how are we gonna, how are we gonna get this guy uh, to have a bad day at the ballpark with all these bats around? Well, he can't just be beating the shit out of with uh, baseball bats. That 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 wouldn't be funny. What if uh, we set up this contrived situation where he slips on all of that? Like, and that is the movie. well. That's the problem. There's no there's no heightened comic scenarios. So how much comedy can you add to like going to ice cream? They have the sequence yeah. of like all of the on, when they're on the water slide. And all of them are, like, going into the water and there's, like, you know, the big guy, like, splashes heavily. Like, okay. Yeah, and, like, Ted Ted Danson has a cigar. cigar. Yeah. Yeah. that That is the movie's idea of a joke. It's, like... Let's make it uh let's make it seem like these guys aren't having a good time while these fun things are happening for the kid and like that's their idea of a joke that they stretch for like an act of the movie. Like an entire act of the movie is a, a montage. Yeah. And again, you can I mean, you can see where the comedy could have been, right? It's it's there. Like Blackmailing kids, going on hijinks, the comedy is in the ridiculousness of the requests, and, like, the stakes aren't so high, <laughs> like, for the kid, or the, you know, like, it's it's just insane that someone was like, like, the wish fulfillment doesn't exist, the, the comedic set pieces don't exist, and as such, it's, it's you know, uh, so, uh, Shauna, uh, my wife, watched this with me. And she was like, just she had never seen it. And at the end, she really was like, do you think that when they 
were at the premiere that everyone involved like was anyone like we made a good movie like it's just so devoid of even like the excuse that bad bad kids filmmakers a lot of times are like actors that are in bad kids movies will go like that you know for the kids like yeah it's not for me i'm not the right audience like this is not for the kids. I don't know who this is for. No, it's it's so it's so boring for kids. Yeah. There's no like kid things in it. And there's so much damn plot. It's a it's a grossly compromised movie and I whenever we do a movie for the show, I try so hard to like have my phone on the counter or far away from me so I don't look at stuff, so I don't miss a thing. And like <laughs> I at one point it was got up to text in the other room and then I came back and I was like, oh, I didn't miss anything. And then I went to the bathroom and didn't pause and I didn't miss anything. There is there is a a sequence between a gross scene of Ted Danson being like, you want to pick up chicks? I don't know. Just be mean to him. Uh, and, <laughs> then, and he's like, he's got a basketball on his shirt. It's supposed to look like he has one big titty or something. It's not funny. It's something ostensibly uh, approaching a joke. <laughs> I want to pause on that for a second because it's in, even that moment is insane. So if you haven't seen this movie, he does the thing of like, kid, you're 11. Um, you don't want to talk to women? No, no boy of mine's not going to. And if you're wondering why we're doing uh, – why I'm doing the New York accent for Ted Danson, I, I want to be very clear. He tries to do a New York accent at various points in this movie, uh, including says like youths and youths guys. Uh, it's very bad. Uh, and also, presumably, as he's out on parole and is doing a sort of work release kind of thing, uh, yeah. he's out on parole. Presumably, he was also incarcerated 12 years earlier or whatever it was in California, right? Well, it's set in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. So, like, oh, why, 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 why was he like, I, I got to juice this. He's, he's, he's an East Coaster. I, I mean, all I focused on was Ted Danson's impeccable New York accent and assumed it took place in New York, but. No, 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 no. It's, it's definitely California. Yeah, this is, this takes place in San Francisco and it's, and for some fucking reason, he, they adopted this accent. They don't, I don't even know if they talk about New York. I guess it's New York doesn't come sort of up a at Jersey all. Thing. It's so unmotivated. It's, it's implied. Like, his sister's got sort of a Jersey thing, I guess. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, and so I so hold on. I want to get back to the I before we move off it. So we don't, definitely, so we don't have to come back to it an hour later or something. Uh, so he is like, my kid needs to talk to women. Of course, it's this uh, aggressive nonsense. The way that he helps him practice, he puts like Peter said, uh, to to make him like imagine to be a woman. He's like women, uh, some women. A lot of women, they have breasts. But he only has one basketball. So he puts the basketball up his shirt. Not in the center, which uh, admittedly would be a little off. He does put it to one side. <laughs> oh, so go harass but, some pregnant women. <laughs> so it's just, it, it's, it's in the chest, it's one side. And you go, that's dumb. Here's where it becomes insane. So, because he, of course, only has the one boob and puts it to the right side, he can't have a head-on conversation with his son pretending to be a woman. No, that would ruin the illusion that he has created. So, he spends the entire 
exchange, walking around Macaulay Culkin, skipping, with the boob (laughs) always facing (laughs) Macaulay Culkin. So as to, I guess, never see how the magic trick is being performed. It is insane. (laughs) So uh, let's talk about this real quick. Ted Danson is a very hot man. Um, He's very attractive. And Whoa. as the years have gone on, many people have, have uh, discovered this through through other stuff like Bored to Death. And um, a lot of people have a Ted Danson thing. I don't know. Sort of like the Jeff Goldblum thing. Like there's a, there's an energy to him that's uh, that, that people that you resonate with. That it's a very specific energy. And in this movie, he does t- time and time again. He tries to find ways to make that not work. It's like it's like he was like ah, too many women in the audience are into me. I need to make this stop. He I so he's definitely someone who has gotten like from my pers- from uh, my perspective anyways like more attractive as he's aged. I know he was the hunk on Cheers. Maybe it's because I just like something about his hair and his whole thing. Like even now I look back and he just looks he looks like he needs a shower. I don't know something about that whole performance is like a little gross for me. Like not 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 his performance but he always just what, looks you don't like find a, you don't find a recovering alcoholic misogynist who runs a bar I, I, that attractive i i just mean to like yeah but i i just mean like his hair like feels like it has i, I don't know there's something about it that just feels off to me but now but like he so fu- but like this movie, which is post Cheers, by the way, I think it's his first movie post Cheers. Can you yeah, imagine being on one of the after big, Cheers ended, biggest sitcom in the world, making it to the movies, getting even with that. Um, but anyways, this feels like how people sometimes have an awkward like teenage years where they haven't grown into their body. I think he had like an awkward like forty year old uh, age where he hadn't quite grown into like becoming a little bit more distinguished. And Glenn Headley, who's his, like, ostensibly love interest in this movie, is so lovely and beautiful. And, like, it's just, it's so bizarre watching the two of them together. So the basketball scene is where Glenn Headley essentially, like, goes undercover with the two of them. They take an interesting character. She's not, you know, macho cop bullshit. She's very much about, like, good investigation. She's very much about, like, I'm going to figure out what's going on here. She, you know, she thinks outside the box and she's the one that immediately helps, like, identify who these three, uh, these three goofs are. Uh, These three rascals. Um, These three crumb bums. These three uh, goofabouts. Potential child murderers. Potential child murderers. She identifies them. She's a good cop, whatever. And then from a distance, she sort of like is endeared to this father, this, whatever this partnership is that's happening in this late part of the movie. She's getting endeared to it. Right after this basketball scene, there's a 40 minute stretch where the movie becomes a different movie. Yep. And it's about her uh, realizing that what it means to be a woman is to be a mom. <laughs> because it's not enough that that uh, Tim Macaulay Culkin gets to get his deadbeat dad back. The entire crux of the movie so far. He also needs to get a surrogate mother cop. And then she just her whole character goes out the window because they need to make this dumb romance plot 
which doesn't work because it's emotionally void. So it's going to bore bore adults. And it's also going to bore the shit out of kids because, like, who wants to watch two middle-aged people, like, fall in <laughs> love in the middle of their kids' movie about a kid basically blackmailing his dad? And, and Macaulay Culkin has no lines during that stretch except, like, because even the lines that he kind of has, Ted Danson's like, well, my kid told me this. But we don't see the kid say that. My favorite, yeah. my, my favorite part of that whole section is actually a Macaulay Culkin line, which is when they're, like, in the mall or whatever. And he says to her, you smell like my mom. And she uh. says, she says, thanks, it's Laura Ashley. <laughs> and then he it, buys her the Laura Ashley perfume, which is like such a creepy thing for an 11 year old to do. Yeah, it, the, the whole thing is so creepy. And like, it does feel like got some focus on the family bullshit or like some weird like. Oh, because, yeah, the plot is that he's going to, you know, have a dad again. And there's like some like fucking William Donahue or whatever his name is built like going like, yeah, but still a one parent family. So still not that much of a win for this kid. It's like, oh, yeah, he doesn't just need to get a dad. He needs to get a mom, too, I guess. Then we're at the normal nuclear family that everyone in our society. Like, it is so insane that, like, there's an hour of a movie building towards him, like, eventually reconciling with his dad and then, you know, forming a relationship. And then they're like, not a family, though. Like, that's what it feels like. The part that really pissed me off that, like, proved to me that there is some conservative bent to this movie is, wh- is like, right after the dinner that the three of them have. Which, by the way, why is Macaulay Culkin going out on their date in the yes. first place? But they have this dinner, for, for the and kids. then he's running around, and Ted Danson and Glenn Headley are talking, and he talks about how, like, the dead mom had said something like, if you're going to keep getting arrested, then you shouldn't be around at all. And he effectively blames his absence and his deadbeatness on the dead mom. Yeah. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. You made your own bad choices and you're not accepting any responsibility for it. You're putting it on the mom. It's mom's fault that you're a bad dad. I can't keep committing crimes and be a part of this family. Well, fuck you then, Linda. Like, <laughs> it's so um, ridiculous. So, okay, so the the moral be- the moralizing in the movie. Let's talk about what happens towards the end of the movie. Essentially, that love plot thing amounts to almost nothing. Well, there's the implication that they will end up together. Yeah. So, but that's almost nothing. And then at the end of the movie, they return to the stupid fucking coin plot. And yeah. it took 40 minutes to fucking get back to it. And it's nonsense because it's just like everyone watching the movie is just like, why are you talking about coins so much? Like, th- 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 there's, this, there's this awful stuff with Saul Rubinick and Garrett well, well, Hold on. Hold on. It's, it's worse than that because, like, yeah, they get back to the coins. Great. But then they add more to it. Like, why – watching this, I assumed that there's the locker where he says the coins are in. He gives the key to Ted Danson. He's like, do you want to go get, go get the coins out of your locker or come get me on this bus? And Ted Danson goes and gets him on the bus. And the cops – he doesn't know this. All the cops are there waiting. Like, he goes into that locker. We got him. So, like, there's consequ- unknown consequences for Ted Danson as well. So you think then, so there's Saul Rubinick, and he has a gun, and you think his move would be, give me the key. And then the coins would be in there, and then the cops would bust Saul Rubinick. And then that makes sense to the, for the ending of the movie? 
Instead, the coin, like, we're an hour and 40 minutes into this movie. That could be a nice, clean ending to your fucking crazy way that you got somewhere. Um, And instead, that's a decoy. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and, and and Ted Danson goes to jail, and then they find out it's just a bag of pennies. It, it's a bag of pennies that aren't even rare coins. And then all three of them, including the Saul Rubinick, goes free. What the fuck? Yeah. So the the whole the whole end of the movie is this like contrived bouncing around thing where it's basically like, oh yeah, we're we're doing a heist movie. I forgot about that. And then the movie is like committed to that. And here's here's where I want to tie all this together. Yeah. At the end of the movie, it decides to be a heist, a heist movie again, which could be fun if your patience hadn't totally been wrung out by this point. The movie is not a good heist movie. It's not a good, you know, dad-son bonding movie because I don't really buy their chemistry. It's not a good rom-com because I don't buy their chemistry either. It's not a good two bumbling fools, like, uh, you know, wet Home Alone style thing, watching two bumbling guys, like, uh, trying to commit crimes but keep failing. Like, that, none of that stuff works. But I think here's my problem with the movie, and it is that conservative moral. <laughs> Wait, like, no, the, yeah, tell me what your tell me what your problem is. After <laughs> you could get rid of so much of this shit, and just all you have to do is just make it about Macaulay Culkin is like has had no no family, no moral, you know, more no moral center. Like he's basically been like sort of raised by his aunt, who doesn't seem to give a shit about him, and. He becomes like a smart, but like, you know, mischievous kid. And Macaulay Culkin is not the mischievous. Like, he doesn't do much. Like, all he does is the this coin thing where he tries, he blackmails his dad. Other than that, like, he's not getting into mischief or tricking the guys that much. Like, he doesn't seem that smart. Well, like, and that's never, that's not Macaulay Culkin's bit, right? His bit is not, I'm mischievous, I'm a problem child. His bit is... Uh, seeming like a grown-up as a kid amongst while well, all the grown-ups seem like children. Yeah. Which is the Uncle Buck thing. Like, But yeah, after our Uncle Buck, everyone was like, yeah. that's the Macaulay Culkin thing. Like, wise beyond his years and eventually that would become kind of creepy. <laughs> the mini well, golf scene like, gets kind of close to hijinks. Yeah. Not entirely, but, you know, at least at least there's stakes in that scene. Yeah, but it, it does get harder when he's older because like the... T- you can't have like a sixteen-year-old who's like you kids. I'm the the I'm the wise behind my beyond my ears. It's like well, you're sixteen. Yeah, well, then it becomes like a weird bad seed thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, the the my, the point I'm trying to make here is that Macaulay Culkin trying to become this moral voice at the end of the movie and the movie leaning into sentimentality and stuff is so fucking boring. Macaulay Culkin was never supposed to be the moral center. The whole the whole point of the movie is like he's just like. I don't give a shit. I'll throw your whole stupid life in disarray just to, like, make you be a dad, which is, like, a yeah. funny plot. It does take them a full 30 minutes to get to that leverage point, by the way. A 30 yeah. minutes before it gets to the point of the movie. Anyways, the, all the moralizing, all that bullshit, all the conservative bullshit that's baked into this movie, they could throw it away and have Macaulay Culkin and their dad and his dad getting into, like, some hijinks at the end of the movie and then, you know, getting into some scheming at the end of the movie. And then at the end of the movie, Ted Danson's like, shit, I corrupted my son, but I'm glad that we bonded over this. And then he chooses to get rid of the coins without this stupid fucking thing where Macaulay Culkin is just constantly blackmailing him. 
Yeah. <sighs> At the end of the movie, he says, he says, you have to, it's the me or the coins. And it's just like this, like moralizing bullshit that like the movie does not need to be weighed down by at that point ted danson also has this justification for why he needs the coins and i feel like that gets in the way of his growth as a character because if he was just like i like robbery because robbery's fun it would make (laughs) sense for him to grow out of it whereas his justification is like you know I want to buy, I'm a, I make cakes and I want to buy my own business and with all of like the money that like I'll pay in taxes from owning a business, like they're going to make their money back. The the banks will make their money back anyway. And the gut like this, I'm not stealing from anyone. The person who owned yeah. these clones died. There's no heir. They're just going to the government. It's as much mine as like. They're so afraid of making him look like a bad person. Yeah, but he has like an actual. He has an actual belief that like, if his kid starts following in his footsteps, he's not going to see why that's wrong. Yeah, because he's no, I- so committed to his own bullshit logic. But then that is kind of like, you're right. Like, it's this idea of, yeah, he might be doing the wrong thing, but he's doing it for the right reasons, which I guess is supposed to, like, soften the fact that, like, you have to accept him as a dad who will support his kid by the end of the movie. But the flip side of that is that in order to have comic hijinks, which this movie thinks this is, there is not one. No. There is not two. There's three scenes of Ted Danson, I think they think it's supposed to be comedic, yelling at his kid about how much he would choose the coins over him. Uh, But it's not comedic. It is just Ted Danson, like in Becker mode, where he's a grumpy asshole, yelling at his kid about the coins in a way that's not fun. Like, they have it at the beginning of the movie, which is where he has the fun dad line. If anyone's going to kill my kid, it's going to be me. Um, Which is so horrific. Horrific. And it doesn't feel like he's joking in that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like in at, at those opening scenes where his kid has uh, stolen the coins, he is like, look, you need to f- fucking stop threatening to torture my kid. But it may come to that. But I'm going to be doing the torturing to my kid. Uh, but he's trying to like, I can outsmart my kid. So we don't need to do that yet. Uh and then midway through the movie, before the the Glenn Headley stuff, he does it again because he's like, aren't we having fun? Couldn't we do this if we didn't have the coins? He's like, you think I'm – yeah, we could do this. He like has that whole like yelling at the kid. I still need the coins. I'm partially just doing this. And then right at the end of the movie <laughs> where he gives him the final ultimatum, he yells at him again like, "You, how dare you make that choice for me? You think you're important to me? Like – it's just like three times you're going to have that moment. Like it's not funny. And it, it doesn't like for all the stuff they tried to soften his character uh, by like all these other like noble aspirations and that I'm not really stealing from anyone. They they kind of shoot that in the foot by the fact that he constantly is reminding his kid that he would choose the coins over him to the point that the decision at the end doesn't feel like a culmination of like a journey they've been on together. It really feels like if it was like, like he's like, all right, as a character, I'm going right to this locker. Oh, what does it say in the script? I'm going to the bus. Okay. Do you want to reshoot any of the other scenes? Because I thought I was going to the, no, just go to the bus. Okay. Like, that's what it feels like. It's a movie that either thinks that abuse is funny or doesn't understand what is abuse in the first place. 
So I know this is our goofy episode, but I will say that is my my biggest problem with, and I think the like the lasting harm from some of these these night like a lot of the movies that I listed at the beginning. I don't even know if they're lasting harm because like like not I don't know how many people saw all of them. Is that because they make their kids so precocious and immune to adults doing extremely harmful things like yelling at kids, like all these things that are like abusive and shitty. Um, in some ways, it makes that funny mm-hmm. because the kids in the movies themselves are Teflon. And so you watch these movies and you see this like, oh, that dad doesn't care about his kid and is screaming at him and stuff like that. And in the movie, I think it's like the opening scene where like his his aunt, who has been his mom for the last three years, the only like caregiver guardian that he's known and is now married and to this new guy who's probably been around and they're like screaming at him in a not funny way. <laughs> like, and he's just like, whatever I roll videotape. And like that works cause it's Macaulay Culkin, but you're, it does like it's, it really sends a message I think to, to probably like young kids that like, Oh, when your parents are verbally abusive to you, just act pretty cool about it. It doesn't like, yeah. it's, I don't know. Cause that's who you're emulating, right? Like as a kid seeing so many of these movies, you're emulating the Jonathan Taylor Thomases and the, and the Macaulay Culkins. And, uh, and, and the problem with that is, is that they are, they have to be adults because they're, they're caregivers and the adults in their life are children, which can be funny. Uh, but also means that like, they are in a horribly not great uh, abusive relationship. Yeah, and it's it's so it's normalizing that abuse in a way mm-hmm. that you know I I I think that culturally we don't understand, you know, verbal emotional abuse in a way that is useful. And it comes at least to some degree from this kind of media where it's just so completely normalized that like we don't even notice it half the time in when it when it manifests in real life, which is Absolutely. horrifying. Yeah, and, like, to the point that, you know, and I think, like, the generation, like, my parents' generation, I mean, my parents used to say stuff like, uh, you know, they they did never, like, physically, uh, you know, uh, assault me or uh, abuse me or anything like that. But, like, they would say, like, well, yeah, we yell sometimes, but, you know, our parents hit us. It's like, it's like that, like. Uh, that uh, emotional damage is um, is like less than physical uh, damage. I mean, a, yeah, and that and that's still that's still happening in movies. Like, there's this there's this film coming out, Little, where it's like a body swap movie. Have you seen the trailer for this movie? I have not. No, it's a it's a body swap movie um, where this woman kind of get she gets cursed and she becomes her like. I don't know, 10-year-old self or something like that. Like it like an inverse of big. And the last shot of the trailer is I think her assistant like like they get in a fight, like the assistant as an adult and this boss as a little child and the assistant's like spanking her and saying like this is why it's like good to spank your children. And like that's in a trailer for Oof. a movie in 2019. Yeah, for a comedy. That was such accepted behavior that it was always like it was never considered uh, as anything other than laughs in like so many of these movies. And like, 
And like the good ending is like the dad stops saying hateful shit to his kid or Thor like considering some some physical violence that doesn't end up happening uh, and decides to like, I don't know, feed him and put a roof over its head. Um, you know, and so go this back really to the is- basketball court to pick up chicks. Oh, I'm going to get two basketballs. <laughs> Advanced training. Um, so let's, uh, I think it's an important point to make because I really do like have a problem with these movies. <laughs> but uh, they also were like like a lot of things a part of my my childhood, and they are bizarre that how many of them exist. Uh, let's talk about the funniest moment in the movie, and I'm sure it got a, a, a gasp laugh from both of you, uh, especially because uh, we. So the last movie we all three of us were together on uh, for this show was Sleepless in Seattle, which announces that the mom has died. In a pretty abrupt way. <laughs> oh, God, I know what scene you're going to say. God. And this movie also lets you know that why Macaulay Culkin was being raised by his aunt in a pretty abrupt way as well. It's also the first interaction that Macaulay Culkin has with Ted Danson, where he goes, throws him a Polaroid and says, um, here's a recent picture I took with mom. Uh, and that picture is uh, Macaulay Culkin laying down, arm resting, like senior pictures pose uh, in front of a gravestone. <laughs> I okay, it's so I bad. paused the movie. I paused the movie and I turned to Molly and I said, "Was that a joke or not?" Uh, I still cannot decide because it seems too dark and amazing to be an actual, like, an actual fully performed attempt at humor. But, like, it made me gasp laugh. It is. Yeah, it feels like some fucking Coen brother. Like, it is so dark and so, um, I, I, like, it literally knocked the wind out of me to the point that, yeah, I was laughing like you've got to be kidding me like something topped the sleepless in seattle opening for worst way to tell the audience that the mom has died i think it's supposed to be a sad moment like you're like it's the moment that makes you sad that oh mom's dead and he's all alone and all that but it doesn't read it doesn't have any dramatic weight to it because nothing in this movie is capable of having dramatic weight and we don't give a shit about anyone in it See, I actually disagree. I think, and I could be wrong, that it was meant to show how nonplussed and how uh, Macaulay Culkin is. Oh, like, yeah. I, that could be, too. I, I I think it was supposed to be like, this is how, like, unaffected he is by what goes on around him. And because that's his whole thing. Like, despite Saul Rubinick threatening to kill him, he is like, he expresses no emotion. He doesn't express fear. He's never worried. I think it's supposed to set him up as like, hey, look, yep, I've accepted my mom's death because nothing affects me. And, and But there is a scene where he goes into his dad's room and he's having a montage of doing Home Alone shit. Like, literally, he's like, well, what do I do in this adult's apartment all day and whatever? The home, It's Home Alone shit just without being funny. Then he goes up and he sees a picture of Ted Danson with, like, his uh, new girlfriend or something. Some woman we never meet at any point in the film. She gave him a plant, apparently. That's all we know about her. Uh, And he puts the picture, the grave picture, in front of the picture of uh, Ted Danson and and his girlfriend. 
in a in a somber moment and it, and it's like take, he takes it seriously he doesn't like smile like <laughs> this will make him mad he, it's like it's so like it's 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 a joke but then a few seconds later it is very much not a joke no i i read that completely differently than you two i didn't think that was like ted danson's girlfriend because that doesn't make any sense like you guys said for like who was this person i thought that was him and his mom and he's like updating the picture oh this the first pg-rated family film that has uh people celebrating at a strip club that's appropriately rated pg why why was it not just a bar maybe that is supposed to be his girlfriend but he doesn't say hi to her or anything it doesn't make any logical sense but it looks a lot like her why why is he in a strip club other than like it's one of those things where like he's a bad bad man and then uh three seconds later they're like oh yeah but it's a kid's comedy also do you think that that like that place exists and like if you go into a strip club and are like i'm very confused why people are basically just showing off their midriff they're like yeah this is the one for pg comedies like <laughs> if you want to go to the good one you gotta go to the r1 there's the one where they have the the tassels that's pg-13 that's down the road a little bit yeah that one's called pour some sugar on me <laughs> This one's called Money, Money, Money because it's the only song we would afford. <laughs> they play that song twice. They play it, they play it, I think, three times. <laughs> they play it at the end and the beginning, and I think they might also play it in the bar scene. They play it a lot because the movie wants you to know that Ted Danson, he's really into money. It has a double meaning, too, because he wants money, like cold hard cash at $250,000 to start his business, but the thing they're stealing is also money. So you see two meanings. That's definitely what the original song was about, right? Like that currency comes in multiple forms. Speaking of the music, the only scene that I had remembered, like etched in my mind over the decades from this movie is the do you love me lip syncing? Oh, really? Like that <laughs> stuck in my head so much. And that was the one scene I knew was in this movie. And it's not an exceptional scene at all. I don't know why that one like stands out, but... That's the that was the one moment that I was like, oh yeah, that's what this that's what this movie is. I think th- I think that's the only time in the montages where like I shouldn't say the only time where there's enough of a component to it where you could s- maybe imagine yourself doing something like that. Like like a, a make your own music video is not as common as everything mm-hmm. else. I guess like that the people go do. So maybe that is why it's like, oh, that would be cool to do. And then, like, I can just mouth along the words and they make a music video with yeah. all this stuff. But it's probably the most wish fulfillment kind of thing. Yeah. And it probably costs $2. <laughs> yeah. So Saul Rubinek was almost exclusively a TV actor. Um, he was on Frasier. Outer Limits. The Showtime one. I think he was also on Next Generation, if I remember his IMDb correctly. Um, then the other guy, Garrett Sartain, is someone uh, who was a regular in the Ernest movies. Uh, and he was like regularly <laughs> like one of the only funny parts in the Ernest movies. Because he, he would be Peter, like... Peter, no one cares about this. This is our 150th episode. <laughs> but he used to be... He was actually really funny in all the Ernest movies. Uh, and he would very often be like funnier than Jim Varney. And then eventually he just stopped being in the movies. Like... It's so sad to see him in this movie basically just be like, uh, I'm just the fat guy. Like, they don't give him any character to work with. He's actually like really good at, at long 
ridiculous monologues like they just make him into this fat dummy and like they could have he's actually talented at delivering like like longer comedic dialogue and they just leave him to rot on the shelf and like i feel like that's the whole movie is like just leaving these talented people to rot on the shelf yeah there's a lot of good people in this movie and they don't know what to do with any of them yeah Saul rubinick you rules um, and he, the one nice thing about, the, about him is that they give him the strangest wardrobe choice I've ever seen in my entire life, which, because I don't think they make these shirts. So he wears a leather jacket, sleeves rolled up fine. I think that was an 80s style, but whatever. It's 1994. Uh, you're, you're living the old times. And then he uh, wears a, a tank top that goes down, I think, below his belly button. Uh, it is the lowest cut, like, you tank top I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they just want to make you make sure you know this guy's grown chest hair. It's not one. It's not like that cut was weird. That's his style for the movie. It's leather jacket, sleeves rolled up, the lowest, the lowest, deepest. Not even a deep V. It's a deep U. <laughs> it's goes down to it's essentially mid. a failed vest. I don't know what it is. It's it's bizarre. But like I've never seen. I don't think they make shirts that do that for like undershirts for men that go that low. In U shape. I don't think they make V's that go no. that low. It's, it's for what, you know, you need, if you constantly need a steady breeze on your chest, that's about it. It's, it's, it's for, it's there to let people know that even when you're, wa- you're not walking there, you're walking there. Do you think Saul Rubinek in his contract was like, I will be in your movie. You need to design from the ground up a new type of shirt <laughs> that... That goes all the way down to my belly button and is a U-shape. Quite likely. <laughs> if he got to take those shirts home because he loved that idea of a shirt so much, I think Saul Rubinek made out the best of anyone in this movie under those specific circumstances. Yeah, I mean, if his goal was to make money, 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 and he got a percent of gross, uh, I don't think he uh, he made very much off this. But if his goal was to get uh, a failure shirt... Um, He's there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so we we can go to some scenes here and then do some final thoughts. I have two things I want to discuss. I'll turn it over to you guys. Um, can we talk about how quickly their criminal scheme fell apart? Like, this is worse. You know, in Goodfellas, they make a big deal about it. People can't wait to spend money and there's, there's strife. They're worse than the Goodfellas guys. They have the robbery the night they're celebrating after they have to wait six days. Everyone's like, give me my shares. I don't trust you. Just do like I want to go spend money now. It's been two hours. Like, they couldn't hold it together for two hours. They, yeah, they, they all turn at each other immediately, basically. And, uh, I mean, and the movie sort of wants you to be endeared to Garrett Sartain immediately, which doesn't work because they don't give him, give you a reason to. He's just like a fat slob, like the fat slob that wears funny suits. And then, uh, they want you to be endeared to Ted Danson as the movie goes along too, which doesn't work because I'm just like, this dude's a scumbag. I, I don't see this guy actually turning around. Uh, and then they're like, Saul Rubinek, he's just, you know, he's, he's getting into mischief, trying to get these coins back. But you immediately see him as, like, a dangerous dude. Like, he's he's shown as the only one who brought a gun to the heist at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, he also like, threatens to kill. Like, the way oh. they're setting up the beginning of the movie is that it's going to end, like, true romance, and they're all going to blow each other's brains out. Like, 
and then no one's gonna get the coins uh it, it's not set up as like a fun kids comedy like at least in home alone they had the audacity that like when the sticky bandits or the wet bandits show their guns you're like oh well i didn't they're I didn't so sticky this. they're so sticky you know it's not gonna work out right mm-hmm. yeah um the other thing is i would buy an audiobook of ted danson in character as the dad of getting even with dad uh giving me a uh, marine uh facts like marine <laughs> facts. uh like just the, the whole like scene. maybe just like it's a possible aquarium t- uh tour that like you know how you can have headsets and have a guided tour i want ted danson in character giving me a tour through every aquarium i visit uh because it's the first thing they go and it is the only like mildly it's not funny funny but I just like Ted Danson, so, okay, gonna be a dad, all right. Look at that, look at that fish. Ooh, it's a fish, oh, I've eaten one of those before. Oh, look at that thing fish, and then he's like, well, that's not a fish. Ah, not a fish, I'm gonna ask that guy. Uh, it's, it's a fish, right? Yeah, it's definitely a fish. Um, like, it is, it's, it's great in the worst way. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 like, you expect the movie to end with he's going to become a good dad in his own way. Like, he doesn't understand this kid. He needs to understand this kid. By the end of the movie, he doesn't understand the kid. The kid bullies him into performing dadly tasks. Like, it's not – this isn't something I'm proud of by the end of it. No. But he found love in his heart, uh, ostensibly. Yeah. The movie told us that they, that he found love in his heart, so – you know, when you think yeah. about it that way. Maybe I, it's, they should have renamed this. Do you remember that Chris Rock movie named I Think I Love oh, yeah. My Wife? They could have renamed, renamed this I Think I, think I Love My Kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what do you guys have for stuff we didn't talk about? Can we talk about how there are two very odd, like, pedophile jokes in this movie? Uh, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. the two, like, Saul Rubinek scenes, like, the one where he... Um, they're in like the natural history museum or whatever, and he goes into the bathroom um, to beat up the kid. Yeah. And he finds the, he like opens the wrong stall door and he's like, Daddy, he's watching me pee. And the dad of this other random kid is like going to beat the crap out of him. And he's like, Oh no, I found the wrong kid. And then there's like another scene later where it's when they're, when they're trying to figure out like, how big Macaulay Culkin's footsteps would be. And they find yeah. like another little kid walking with his mom. And he's like, hey, hey, can we borrow your kid for a minute? And the mom uh, like naturally freaks the fuck out. It's like, I, it's, I, why are those in the movie? <laughs> you know, there's also almost like a weird third one where uh, when, when Glenn, Glenn Headley starts first um, watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, like stake, staking them out and he's like yep I bet that kid is Ted Danson's kid and the other cop guy uh, is like why do you say that well because he's attractive <laughs> That's yeah exactly it's like, it's like what What the yeah. fuck <laughs> stop it that's not a good re- maybe because they have similar features which they don't sure. I mean they yeah. don't at all but but that would be a normal thing to say like well he he's hot and he's hot so yeah but it's like Jesus Christ that's like that's I mean it's still not as far as blank check went where at the end of the movie the the woman cop kisses 
Preston on the mouth? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, really that's bad. Yeah. With the mouth. At the end of the movie, the kid's got a crush on this this older lady. And, and like, they, there's like a cute way to handle that, right? Like, kids get crushes on older women. And there's not, uh, the, the woman is not supposed to reciprocate it. She's she's like a 30-year-old woman. Like, and this isn't cute. There's nothing cute about sure this. Sure, it's a time-honored tradition because it was only a couple years ago where we had Book of Henry where um, Sarah Silverman kisses the little kid in his hospital oh, bed. Christ. I haven't seen Book Oh yeah, Henry Sarah before. Silverman kisses that kid. That's a- uh, oh. That movie is so, so chock full of damaging so material that like that somehow slipped slipped beneath my mental like my brain was like we don't need to store that this one, as a memory. That one That's stands fine. out to me because half of that movie's plot is about like child sexual abuse and which they take great pains to never depict in any way and then they have sarah silverman kissing that kid and it's like oh that's no big deal oh yeah this yeah. is a cute thing totally normal but yeah this movie has a weird ass preoccupation with this stuff and i don't know why other than they're just going for any hacky jokes they can the urinal part especially is like so fucking disturbing yeah. because he opens the door, the kid turns around, and then he just, like, stares for a while, like, whoa, this wasn't what I was, ex-. but it's like, it is fucking, yeah, I don't even know. It's like a fucking scene from Happiness. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. Um, and then him getting <laughs> punched by the dad is just like, you know. It's, it's played like, for comedy. It's played Ugh. for a joke. Yeah. It's. <laughs> This movie's bad, guys, uh, to the point that it got 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) So let's find that asshole who gave it a positive review. God. The entire movie is, like, predicated on the idea, like, this is funny, right? This This is the context of a joke. I don't know. There is one moment in the movie that makes me laugh, and I found out that it was a... A uh, thing that happened spontaneously during production and was not scripted at all. So there's a very boring, drawn-out sequence where Garrett Sertain and Saul Rubinick are walking down the street counting yep. steps. And this joke, like, they cut away from the joke. like, And they come back to it and you're like, oh, you're still still telling this joke, right? Um, and because they don't belong saying, in the new movie. <laughs> and they say, they're saying a number... And then eventually a street seller is saying his number for how much his jackets are worth. And then Saul Rubinick punches him in the face because he confused him. And uh, it was sort of funny in the moment, I guess. What makes it really funny is that that was unscripted. Really? That guy. (laughs) (laughs) That guy apparently, I don't know if this is a lie, but this is something that has been, I saw in multiple locations, was that apparently Saul Rubinick punched out this dude because he ruined the, the he thought he was just ruining the shot yeah you don't want to you don't want to ruin a shot on getting even with dad it could be gold you throw <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and like i can guarantee i can guarantee they all knew they were doing a bad movie like even you know halfway through um and so the idea that you have to do that take again i understand why it makes you so mad but apparently saw Rubin punch him in the face and then the both sort of being weird and then running away was because they both were like, are we to get in trouble for this? And then oh, ran gosh. away. That's really disappointing to learn because, you know, you'd think working on this movie that Saul Rubinick would know to not get mad. But Spaghetti. instead, 
to get even with his own father. I mean, that's the advice of the movie. I mean, if you read even the first line of the script, presumably. Uh, yeah, the first line know. of most scripts are the taglines, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really get people hyped. Ooh, interesting. I'm going to turn to page two. Yeah. Uh, uh, what? Any other, any other moments we didn't talk about? Uh, I have one I really like uh, that I have. I don't know if I have final thoughts in this movie, but I, I, have, a, I have another line. Um, there's something the police commissioner does that made me laugh, and I almost rewound it, but I was like, I need this was movie to be over. Was it not firing Len Headley? Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's talking about how they got tricked into picking up someone for, you know, stealing pennies or whatever. And he's, he's like, <laughs> once you break up the clown's shoes and then noses, because we sure as hell look like clowns! <laughs> Yeah, that, that part's pretty. That part's pretty good. That's good. I like that. Uh, and I wish, I wish that, I wish that that was the direction he did for every like couplet of lines for the the entire movie. I wish it was quiet, loud. <laughs> yeah, it's great that that laugh seems genuine. Uh, yeah. He does a good job. He does a good turn. Uh, the only line in this movie that made me laugh for some reason is uh, well, besides of course the here's a picture of me and mom. Uh, which um, <laughs> is, uh, I, and I don't even remember the context was when, when uh, Macaulay Culkin is like complaining that he ignored him when he first got here. And like Ted Danson drops all the pretense of like what he's been lying and just goes, yeah, I was planning a robbery, son. <laughs> like there was something about that line delivery that was the only moment that had the like frustrated Ted Dan- Danson is delivers a funny line cadence down uh everything else was over the top and it was like yeah well now you know what i was doing so why are you acting like i was confused uh that i didn't have time for you when you first got here like it wasn't my cake business uh so that got like a minor chuckle for me good line delivery in one moment ted Danson. i don't think any lines made me laugh but the two lines that made me jaw drop were the one that obviously the photo of mom and then also mm. when they are walking down the street and you know we're, we're supposed to imagine that Ted Dance's character is like actually really into baking like he really cares about his cakes and they walk by a bakery with an ugly <laughs> cake and he says I wouldn't give that cake to Hitler <laughs> I forgot about that. It's like okay, okay, we're gonna go to Hitler in this one, I guess. I wouldn't give any cake to Hitler, no matter how ugly or no. attractive. Um, yeah, I, maybe I I'm think, just a purist on some level, but I just don't think Hitler. I, just, I cake. agree completely. Yeah, I think a bad punishment for Hitler is to get a not aesthetically pleasing <laughs> cake. <laughs> I don't think that matches the crime. That's all I'm saying. The piping is. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Although, actually, it doesn't even feel like a crime because he's saying he wouldn't even do it. Like, look, I don't like Hitler, but even Hitler deserves better than this cake that I think looks ugly. <laughs> I don't think so. Keep calm and never bake Hitler a cake. We will fight them on the land, I... the sea, the air, and we're not going to give them cakes that look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think the reason why that line stood out to me on this watch so much is because, you know, as I mentioned before, I remember watching this movie at a sleepover and I went to Jewish elementary and middle school 
And so, like, we had, like, Holocaust Ed from a very young age. So I can just imagine being, like, 10 years old with a bunch of, like, girls from, like, Jewish elementary school. We're like, oh, yeah, good Hitler reference. (laughs) Thanks for reminding me, movie. (laughs) Good, good, good that our Shoah education is continuing on the weekend. Yeah, that's where uh, society as a whole decided that Hitler was funny and to use him in a lot of jokes. And then it came back around on us again. So thank you, society. Hooray. Hooray. So on that note, so my final thoughts are, uh, so I I genuinely loved, so for our previous like versions of this, because this is not typically what we do, but I do like doing it occasionally, especially for like, especially for like our anniversary episodes. Um and I really wanted to do a version of this, and this seemed like the the weirdest and the worst. Like, it's one I remember not liking as a kid even, but the tagline itself, as I mentioned, stayed with me. And it's such a bizarre uh, attempt to do one of these, like, PG uh, 90s kids movies. Um, and I, I do think that's interesting to revisit, but, you know, obviously the difference between this and the other two is that, like, I genuinely – had a ball with Air Bud because uh, that is a movie that delivers on its promise to like you will believe a dog can jam can step up to the jam yeah and uh, I have and no it... grievances to air here Bud <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, yeah no it's it's wonderful and I'm assuming well, I haven't seen the second one but I'm assuming that I would uh, if I did I would think he truly was the golden receiver <laughs> um because I know when I did see the Santa Paws one, the Buddy spinoff, that's a fucking crazy movie. Maybe we should do that for a 200th. But uh, so in Monster Trucks, obviously, is the best movie of all time. We don't need to get in further into that. Uh, so this this is just terrible. It is so bad. <laughs> like it is. But somehow still better than Mother's Day. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but it's still uh, so it's not, it's not even the worst movie we've ever done on the show. But yeah, I just I find this era of movies so fascinating, especially because I think uh, we were just uh, subjected to this. And I'm I'm equally fascinated on what like versions of this exist in the 80s and the 70s and exist now. And it just it doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel like they do. Like it feels like the, the early and mid 90s were this weird moment where like kids movies were like these these movies that at best were making 30 40 million dollars and they'd make them for 10 million and like that was a good enough profit and like no one all the script writers didn't know what to do and most things weren't breakout hits and they've just kind of been forgotten to time to the point that again a year ago we couldn't even get a dvd copy of this movie so uh so yeah this was a ton of fun for our 150th episode but i cannot if you had fun listening to us, and I could not underline this enough, if you're like, oh, that seemed like it was entertaining as a listen and they brought up funny stuff, do not go watch this movie. <laughs> like, it is like, like, we told you the parts that were funny. This is not one you need to see to believe. If if you can get a timestamp on when he throws the picture at Ted Danson of him, of him and his mom, maybe. But, like, don't spend an hour and 49 minutes on this movie, even though it is on Amazon Prime to watch for free right now. It's also on Vudu for free with ads. 
<laughs> if you want to make your one hour and 50 minute experience longer, do I got the plan for you? <laughs> All the ads on Voodoo are just ads for Voodoo's free movies, by the way. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I'm already watching it. I know it exists. Can I skip the ads? I'll be more likely to watch the next one. Also, I've started to get emails from Voodoo that says, if you watch one of our free movies, we'll give you a $2 credit. Uh, uh, I don't know what that means, but it's very bizarre. <laughs> I've never had a, a Netflix is like, hey, hey, if you watch uh, Bird Box, we'll give you five bucks. <laughs> like, if I watch, if I watch, apparently getting even with Dan, I could have made two dollars, which would have been the most anyone had benefited from this movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> Any other final thoughts? Yeah. I have nothing to say on this filth. <laughs> this is the worst thing we've ever done on the show. It's this uh, mirthless void. And I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, we're not a bad movie podcast. And it was like, all, all I did this time was learn a few tricks on how to get even with dad. And it mostly involved blackmail, which is not an actionable way to get even with dad. Here's what I think you should do next time you go home to work out the, the things you've learned in this movie. I think you should, like, take your dad's safe if he has one and then ask, say, say he can have it back if you guys go play mini golf. <laughs> <laughs> My dad would be like, why didn't you just start by asking me to play mini golf? <laughs> He's gonna, think... he's gonna be, but at that point, you're the aggressor, though, so he's going to have to watch a movie called Getting Even with Son. Where it's like, don't ruin his fun, get even with son. Definitely a movie about someone getting even with their son. Sure, let's move on of. from that before we try to make jokes. Um, <laughs> Carrie, so is this a fun revisit? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, look, the movie is garbage, but my favorite... I mean, I mean, I would not rewatch this movie the way I rewatch Book of Henry every so often, which is a film that I love and it's batshitness. But like, I do appreciate this movie in the sense that there are so many poor decisions that there are things to say about it. So like, yeah. it was still a fascinating artifact of the time. The biggest thing I was trying to reflect on as I was watching it was how on earth was this interesting to me as a child? Because I remember thinking it was fine when I watched it, but there's nothing about this that's interesting to children. So I, no. it was a weird artifact to go back to, but because it just has so many you know, horrifically informed choices in in every stage of the film, that made it interesting uh -huh. to kind of think about like, oh yeah, there are things to analyze here. Yeah, it's crazier than I remembered uh, on a few different levels. Uh, and I wanted to go back to, so I, I have memories of like, like quote unquote mm -hmm. liking it uh, when I saw it in theaters, but I know I didn't even like it as much as movies that I also probably didn't like mm -hmm. that much. But I just didn't have a critical eye. Like, I liked seeing movies. I liked Macaulay Culkin. Like, I didn't... This is a longer discussion, but I, I didn't understand that movies could be bad at, at, until a certain age. I don't even know when that was. It was like, well, yeah, movies are... There's movies I'm not interested in because they're like the age of innocence and my parents are watching it and I don't care about that. But, uh, but other movies that I am interested in are mm -hmm. good. 
like regardless but but i know so i but i know that like this is one of those movies where i can remember going like almost like convincing my 10 year old self that i'm like yeah yeah, it's good but like i never rented it i never watched it again i didn't go back to the theater to see it so like that was my version of yeah even if i so that's why i was so interested in revisiting this like what about this that even at 10 when i would watch movies two three four times if i had access to them which this one did what is it that made me go no i'm good i'll stay home and i don't know read yeah i i i I think i'm with you because i only i only have a memory of watching it once i don't think i rented it again and there were definitely plenty of movies at that age that i was renting again so it was definitely some form of like this is fine but not feeling a need to engage with it further the first film that i remember seeing where i thought like this is a bad movie was a few years later when I saw Simply Irresistible of Sarah Michelle Gellar, the chef movie. <laughs> I've seen that. Like, that was the first, because I was a big Buffy fan. That was the first movie where I was like, this is a bad movie. But before then, it was like, this is fine, but I'm not going to watch it anymore. Yeah, I I think the first movie that I really was like, not that this wasn't, because I understood that like there were movies I didn't enjoy watching, but I didn't like equate that with because they were of poor quality it was just because it wasn't for me i think the first one i remember being like huh that was something i was supposed to really like and i guess i was that bad like where i literally had probably had a couple weeks debate in my head and realized that like movies i wanted to like could be terrible and that was like 1998's godzilla movie which i was so pumped for oh yeah like beyond pumped it was this huge thing and it was like huh i i think i didn't like that like that's not right and i remember like but i saw it again in theaters and i saw it i read i think i bought it and i'm like no i like it and then like at some point i was like no it's i think it's bad i feel like that's a that's something that a lot of people went through with star wars episode one oh yeah and of a certain age too where, like, I hear a lot of those stories of, like, yeah, but it's Star Wars. I must let you. Like, I, yeah, I got. I think I like it. But, like, just having none of that, whatever that feeling is of, like, ooh. Yeah, like, there's an assumption this. that, especially if it's a franchise that you like, but in general, like, if it's a movie, because movies are fun, you're going to like the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that is really why I want to do this movie. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it uh, so much. Uh, Carrie said it was her favorite and then, like, change what she was saying. So I say in post, we just change that to be it was Carrie's favorite. Uh, and Peter. You're really um, reinstating her artistic intent by what she meant to say. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm recutting it, but I think it still holds up thematically. Uh, and and Peter, we'll just cut you out where you said those things. So uh, it's your edit. So if you could follow my random demands, I would appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So we're actually so surprise, haha. Yeah, we're we're actually starting. Uh, what what's even real man month? Next week, April is. What do we say it was called, Peter? Yeah, uh, what's even real, man? There we go. There's some actual tone and emphasis uh, that that gives away. Yeah, and we're starting, and it, it kind of like, it started as, let's do a Matrix month of like Matrix and Matrix ripoffs. But like, that's not really true, because nothing we're covering is a Matrix ripoff. Uh, even though three of them came out the same year. Uh, <laughs> so we're doing, we're starting with the Matrix with guest Zach Groton. 
uh, and then we're doing the 13th floor. Uh, and then Existence, all three are 1999 movies um, uh, that came out pretty close to each other. And then we're ending the month with, with one that definitely doesn't, at least the first one doesn't borrow uh, from the Matrix, and that's we're gonna do a double feature of Tron and Tron Legacy with uh, Connor Malcolm Crockford. So I'm very excited about that month. That was like Peter. I think when we started talking about theme months, that was like one of your first ideas. Yeah, I got really pumped about that idea at the beginning because uh, I uh, I feel like it's right in our wheelhouse. I feel like the, they're, they're mostly movies that people don't talk about, um, except for the first one, obviously, which is coming up on its 20th anniversary. Yeah, I think I think we missed it. Nope, it's on the <laughs> 31st. Oh, of oh, April? Oh, yeah, we have missed it. By, by the time <laughs> this comes out, you're right, we have missed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that's what we did it for, uh, not just an accident of scheduling. We It was planned all along. Yeah, and I haven't seen The Matrix since... Uh, oh, you're in for a treat. 2004? When, when did Matrix Revolution... Yeah, when did Matrix Revolutions come out? Like, uh... Yeah, that, I like that. We're gonna, 2005, 2004 to 6, somewhere is when those two movies came out. Yeah, I think they were both 2003. Because <laughs> I think they came out the same year. Like, one in July and one in December. But anyways, uh, we're not talking about those movies. Yeah, 2003, uh, but, yeah. But I had a weird, like... We'll talk about it. Like, I thought the 13th floor was better than The Matrix. I don't know. I really it's like so the good. Matrix is amazing. I love it. But I, I think it was at the time, I feel like it was everywhere so quickly. I had a weird defense mechanism. I, I, I both loved it and then had a defense mechanism against it that was like not based on the quality of the movie, but just a I have seen Matrix parodies in every comedy I've ever seen in every TV show. And I need it to stop for a little bit, which is not a fault of the movie. And then when I was a little disappointed by uh, Revolutions, I kind of took a break. And I have watched it once since then. I really loved it. So it was on TV. So I am very excited to revisit it. And also uh, explain some of my youthful idiocy related to the general quality between (laughs) that and the 13th floor. Oh, I'm going to look really stupid. Uh, but I was I was fifteen, guys. I was young, dumb, full of getting even with them. <laughs> um, yeah, this is going to be a double promotion because I mentioned it on a thing that's not out yet. But this month, or this uh, the month that we were recording and the month that has just finished when you're listening, um, is Women's History Month, and our friends at the Salute have put together a women's canon series, which is basically like a bunch of articles about different films that are important to women that we don't often get to talk about in more uh, general film spaces, because turns out guys don't take movies that women like terribly seriously um so i wrote a couple pieces for that um i wrote some pieces that are up right now um are about anne of green gables and dirty dancing and i have another piece that i'll be uh putting up there later this week um but there are so many great articles up there um bridget has some pieces uh natalie has some pieces so uh you know you'll see and joey of course does so some folks that you know from the show are there um definitely go check it out yeah we, we will include uh, links to those in the show notes uh and also in the sidecast that should also be coming out sometime in april as well so 
yeah, very exciting. Uh, I still have a couple of those to get through, but everything I've read so far has been unsurprisingly wonderful. And with that, I say here's to, I don't know, what do you think, like 30 more, Peter? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That's fair. I uh, definitely am not going to fall inward like a uh, deflating pumpkin when it's been sitting on the stoop too long. Definitely not going to happen. That's why you want to listen to us for 150 episodes, because episode 10, Peter's probably saying deflating balloon, a common <laughs> metaphor that people understand. But, you know, as you say metaphors over and over, you got to come up with new ones. So deflating pumpkin <laughs> is what you get at episode 150. I think it may be like episode 300. Well, it's a deflating Capri Sun pack once all the juice has been pushed out. It's just a go-to metaphor, you know? It's the kind of thing that's just, you know, back at hand, ready to go. Uh, they say don't think twice. I don't even think once. Well, much like uh, much like Cinderella, this podcast is about to turn from a coach back into a pumpkin. So we will deflate and say good night. Good night. How can I try to explain when I do he turns away again? It's always been the same, same old story From the moment I could talk I was ordered to listen Now there's a way And I know that I have to go Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. <laughs>